The My Ag Life Daily News Report is the go-to daily ag news source for California agriculture. The hour-long daily news report can be heard every Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. and is available on demand with the My Ag Life app. Download it for free at myaglife.com. Take control and keep control of tough weeds with the easy-to-use liquid formulation of Chateau EZ Herbicide. Chateau EZ controls more than 90 annual broadleaf and grass weeds in orchards and vineyards. Visit valent.com slash Chateau EZ. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome to My Ag Life, where we cover your world in agriculture. This podcast is powered by the top publications in the industry, West Coast Nut, Progressive Crop Consultant, and Organic Farmer Magazine. Here is your host, Taylor Chalstrom. Hi, welcome to My Ag Life. Today we're talking with California Farm Water Coalition's Mike Wade about what it could mean for Californians if we have another dry year. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here today. Mike, in a recent article you wrote for West Coast Nut Magazine, you say that it's, quote, not all doom and gloom when it comes to water issues in the state, uh, but that there is some good, bad, and of course, ugly. Uh, let's talk about the good, though, to start off with. What is the good that's happening right now for water? We're very optimistic about the infrastructure spending bill that was passed. Uh, we're appreciative that Congress and the, and the Senate got those pushed through and that the president signed them. It means over $5 billion in investments in California water infrastructure. And that is a huge deal. Uh, we're really pleased to see that. And there are a number of projects that we can use in terms of additional water supply, uh, improving some of our infrastructure, repairing canals, helping to develop groundwater storage, a whole host of things, kind of the all of the above approach to water supply for this year. I'm just curious, how is the California Farm Water Coalition kind of backing um, those issues, helping to make sure that um, those things really succeed for the industry? Well, we're a nonprofit education organization. So our mission is not to lobby on any kinds of activities like this, but we do provide educational materials. We help policymakers and legislature, the legislators understand what's really needed, where we need infrastructure investments, how agriculture is using water, and we help you know, a tremendous amount to help the public understand the connection between farm water and their food supply. And Mike, one thing you mentioned in your article uh, is this thing called voluntary agreements and how they can potentially be a solution to California's water management problems. I'm just curious on your take on those voluntary agreements. You know, how, how can those be you know, a solution? Well, the concept of a voluntary agreement is uh, a collaborative approach between the water user community and the regular the regulator community. And in a classic sense, it would be investing at the local level on infrastructure improvements, on the kinds of things that improve habitat for endangered species, to improve um, salmon spawning habitat, for instance, or building side channels on rivers. And we've seen a tremendous benefit over the years where these kinds of activities with local, state, and federal support have done tremendously to improve the situation, the ecosystem uh, for threatened and endangered fish. So when we've got investments that need to be made, we have to look at 
kind of a broad spectrum of solutions. And one of them certainly is water supply, having uh, the right river flows at the right time, but then also having the, uh, the resources in the river uh, for fish for reproduction. And uh, that's essentially what the voluntary agreements are all about. Um, since you say that they can potentially be a solution that kind of leads me to believe that they're not really being taken advantage of as much uh, as they could be. I'm just curious, you know, why that might be. Well, there are uh, efforts to look at voluntary agreements on tributaries to the, the San Joaquin River. However, the state of California in October said that they were going to abandon that process. They're still looking at uh, the same types of uh, activities in the Sacramento Valley. And I know the State Water Resources Control Board is uh, discussing those issues uh, as we speak. And you know, we're waiting to see the outcome, but um, we still think that there are solutions that can be had through a combination of efforts that include stream flow, include Bay Delta water quality, and include uh, locally funded and managed voluntary agreement type projects. Okay, thanks for that, Mike. We're gonna be right back after a word from our sponsors. Control weeds from the start with the easy to use liquid formulation of Chateau EZ herbicide. Chateau EZ controls more than 90 annual broadleaf and grass weeds in orchards and vineyards, including mare's tail, fleabane, mallow, and more. Take control and keep control of tough weeds with the proven pre-emergence performance of Chateau Easy Herbicide, now in easy-to-use liquid formulation. Talk to your PCA or visit valent.com slash Chateau EZ. Always read and follow label instructions. Hi, we're back talking with California Farm Water Coalition's Mike Wade about what it could mean for Californians if we have another dry year. Mike, the state has continued to decrease water supply and increased costs over the years. I'm just curious what the inevitable consequences of that will be, and also why it's critical we don't go in that direction as a state. Well, one of the first things that will happen and that we've already seen happen in previous droughts and in the current drought, and anytime we have water supply shortages and the cost of water increases, is that farmers take land out of production. They reduce the, the number of crops that they grow, the number of acres that are planted, and they're usually annual crops where they can fallow them uh, to save precious water and expensive water for their bigger investments. And usually those are permanent crops, whether they're orchards or vineyards, farmers are protecting their long-term investment uh, when, when we're in a drought. Um, so that's one of the first things we see. As a result of that, we see a reduction in the the kinds of and the, the variety of fresh fruits and vegetables that make it to market. And the, the problem with that is we generally see a consolidation of the kinds of crops that are grown and a reduction in the diversity of crops that are grown in California, which is opposite of what consumers want. And then lastly, once it makes its way through the, the food chain, if you will, is consumers experience higher prices. And we've already seen that this year, for instance, with processing tomatoes. California is the number one producer of processing tomatoes in the US. We actually grow 30 times the processing tomatoes that the number two state, Indiana, grows in a year. Yet with the drought and with water supply cuts uh, and the reduction in plantings over the last year or two, just this year from January to April, we saw processing tomato wholesale prices go up 
22%. And that's going to have a ripple effect as it works its way through the market, through all the products that consumers want, whether it's spaghetti sauce or salsa or soups and stews, all of the things that processed tomatoes go into, those are affected ultimately by higher prices. So, you know, obviously this is a really big issue and not a simple one at that. Um, but how does, how do we as a state really go about uh, reversing this? How do we backtrack? Well, one thing is we need to educate our, our policymakers. I think there's just a, a very little understanding about the importance of California agriculture. And not just because we've got tens of thousands of family farmers, or we support the rural economy and a lot of people and jobs, both within the San Joaquin and Sacramento valleys, but outside of the valleys as well in associated businesses. Um, but the critical thing to understand is California's importance for the rest of the nation as a food supplier is unparalleled. We actually grow more fresh fruits, nuts, and vegetables than the 49 other states combined. And when California production is reduced, we see a ripple effect across the country. We see foreign competitors coming in to fill the void. And they're usually countries that don't have the same kinds of food safety protections and pesticide rules that California farmers follow. You said that processing tomatoes are uh, one of the crops that are being hit really hard by this issue. Are there any other crops that are being hit as big as processing tomatoes in California? I know we have a lot of specialized commodities here. I'm just kind of curious there. Sure. I, I think anything that's in, in line for annual fallowing could be, could be affected. Forage crops for dairies is one that gets, uh, that gets hit. We also see the same kind of effect in melons, in uh, peppers, other fresh truck crops, the row crops that grow predominantly throughout the San Joaquin Valley. Mike, another issue Californians might face is an end to water rights if federal agencies attempt to revert to what you say is, quote, old, outdated operating rules for both the Central Valley Project and the State Water Project. You know, what could happen if something like that is enacted uh, for the state? Well, we're talking really about two different issues here. Um, part of it is the old operating rules take us back to the 2008 and 2009 biological opinions, which in effect are a set of operating rules for moving water around the state, primarily through the Delta. Those rules were in effect for 10 years and they harmed water supply. They would continue to diminish the amount of water that we have available for farms. But the sad part is, they're not doing anything to help fish. We've seen salmon and Delta smelt populations continue to decline over the 10 years that those earlier biological opinions were in effect. And that's the, that's the, the world that we're going back to if uh, some of the proposals are put into place. Uh, with respect to water rights, there are some uh, potential changes on, on how we manage our water supply in California. And that could have a ripple effect into water rights. And um, it, it's a slippery slope. Um, California water rights go back uh, more than a hundred years to the gold rush and are actually rooted in English common law. And so they're a vested property right. And they're something that holds value for individual farmers that are growing food and fiber products for California consumers, which is really what it's all about. Yeah, that fish issue really makes me think, you know, you say that it was 
uh, some of those rules might have been made to help the fish, but really uh, those populations are still decreasing. Are they kind of just overlooking the fact that those populations are decreasing or is the science not really being considered there? It's hard to say uh, what the, uh, the rationale is behind it. The, the 2019 biological opinions that we're currently operating under were founded in science. They were founded in uh, years of research in the Delta, looking at how uh, fish populations po uh, reproduce and move in and around the Delta. And we're in using those biological opinions being based in science, we're actually making decisions based on how fish uh, respond to the natural environment. The old biological opinions are calendar-based. Uh, a certain date comes along and we change an operating procedure simply because it's that date. Whether there are fish there or not, whether they're imperiled or not, or whether there's any threat to them or not. Okay. Mike, you know, how can Californians and really the ag industry as a whole really work together to prevent some of these looming water issues uh, from occurring in the state? I think what, what our policymakers need to understand is that farmers are here to grow the food that the population needs. And people want California produced food. All of the studies that we've done, the surveys and, uh, and research into uh, consumer preferences is that they like California farms. They like the fact that we're growing food essentially in their own backyard. It's being grown under the safest conditions anywhere on the planet. And consumers by and large really are interested in a safe, an affordable food supply. It comes down to that. And if, if uh, our policymakers uh, are really interested in supporting agriculture, they'll make sure that there's uh, abundant water supplies to grow the food that ultimately grow, ultimately go to the people of California. And Mike, does the California Farm Water Coalition uh, or anything else have um, helpful resources about this kind of information, anything you'd recommend to uh, listeners out there? We have a terrific website. You can find us at farmwater.org. There are terrific opinion pieces, uh, our blog, a number of fact sheets and fact-based information using data from local, state, and federal levels, uh, from universities and from uh, USDA, the uh, National Ag Statistics Service, and others that help really paint a picture, an accurate picture, of what California agriculture is all about. So I would encourage any of your listeners to visit us at farmwater.org or find us on uh, social media at farmwater. Okay, perfect. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on today and bringing light uh, to some of these issues. While there's some good stuff going on and we gotta um, take advantage of those opportunities, you, we also have to uh, remember that there is the bad, which could lead to the ugly. And so we gotta get more educated on that. So thanks for coming on today and talking about it, Mike. Thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Of course. This is Taylor with My Ag Life signing off. Thanks for listening. Subscribe for updates on new episodes, exclusive content, and more at myaglife.com.